There are certain words that we are hearing a lot right now. Among them is the word electability, which I didn't really know was a word, but here we are. We're hearing this word in relationship to gender and age, sexual orientation, and until Andrew Yang and Deval Patrick dropped out of the competition for the Democratic nomination, we were hearing it in relationship to race. And yes, I'm fully aware that Tulsi Gabbard has not officially suspended her campaign. But part of me believes the Democratic Party totally suspended her when she voted present for the Articles of Impeachment. Electability, for me, brings up images of Dwight Eisenhower, Lyndon Baines Johnson, older white men with craggy but kindly faces, doting but strong wives, and multiple children. I actually don't hear the word as a compliment. I hear it more as an excuse for people's lack of understanding about what it actually means to elect a president. Early on in the Trump administration, the other word we heard a lot of, and a word that seems to be the natural successor to electability, is presidential. We want to hear a State of the Union address that is presented in a presidential manner. We're not particularly keen on language or tone that isn't presidential. We're offended by behavior, travel, and even Christmas decorations that do not seem to be very presidential. But really, what are these two words? Both are manufactured concepts that grew out of an age of media that learned how to manipulate our perceptions to the point that we, are eventually, accept that we eventually accepted something called reality TV as entertainment. We were no longer connoisseurs of well-written comedy or drama, but consumers of voyeurism. Flies on the wall of life, just waiting for things to happen and easily occupied by a family squabble or someone's return from a journey to the mall. In the early 2000s, I lived in Los Angeles and I was still actively working in the entertainment world. I was at drinks with some friends, uh, among which someone was who was working with the television so, show Survivor. What was surprising is that this person was a writer. <laughs> yeah. And he was very clear that the show is written. Although it is not scripted, it is shaped and crafted for dramatic effect. This writer shared that basically people are boring and they do dull things, if not most of, certainly 99% of the time. It is the writer's jobs on a show like this to extract the 1% of interesting stuff, even if it takes injecting some drama. This information has stuck with me to this day and heavily influences not only the way I consume media, but how I think of our current state of politics. A few weeks ago, I preached about the exhaustion we experience in the current world and political climate. But this is not because some fresh out of film school writer is saying, wouldn't it help our ratings if the Iowa caucus, caucus was a total mess? 
At least I hope it wasn't that. Nor is some producer feeding the president lines about disparaging service members or defending the, the likes of Rush Limbaugh. Sadly, there is no writer to blame. The problem is not the president or the politics. The problem is how we have been conditioned to receive them. We spent the last 20 years believing television shows like Survivor and Dancing with the Stars and, dare I say, The Apprentice, and we as a nation became less discerning about how much of what we would let, uh, how, about how much of that we would let into our lives. Meanwhile, live entertainment, live interactions with other people, live shopping, and even live dating have become inaccessibly expensive and are considered archaic in a world that wants to move faster and faster. News is sloppy, too often jumping on stories that are not as deeply vetted as they could be, but that will get clicks and views and increase revenue. And we've learned to expect it. So that now, when we're faced with a consequential question like, who do we want to lead the country, the best answer that either party can come up with is not the other party. <laughs> Electability and presidential are up to us. They are not magical qualities that dance between the eyes and lilt on the voice of only a very few male, genitaled, heterosexual, no less than 50% white people. Our challenge is that in our days, we have forgotten that at the core of both electability and presidential is another word that is much more than just a word. Leadership. Why aren't we hearing more about leadership? Maybe because leadership, that is true leadership, is much more elusive and wiggly. Electability and presidential are easy affectations that we associate directly with the democratic process. But leadership, real leadership, is something that lives in our everyday lives, or at least it should. But with the way we are currently primed to receive life as an ongoing saga, triggered by a computer algorithm that leaves us impatient with the human pace to life, and the scale of our expectations has grown to assume the reality of mile-high buildings and day-long flights around three-quarters of the globe and wealth measured in unspendable quantities, leadership seems rather insignificant. And in the high-contrast, high-volume, high-expectation world we navigate, we put pressure on leadership. We seem to believe that leadership is only real when it receives national coverage or goes viral. Noteworthy leadership must also come in the package of a particularly young person to be taken seriously or consumed as they may be in the moment of adoration and awe before moving on to the next leader. And Ella Baker. Ella Baker. 
Say it again, Ella Baker. Some of you may be familiar with this name, some of you may not. My hope is that all of you will be inspired to learn something about her beyond what I share today, and more importantly, you will be inspired to require that the leaders in our world are more in her model. Ella Baker was quite simply one of the most important leaders in the civil rights movement. Why don't we have Ella Baker Day? Largely because she worked behind the scenes, a bit like Bayard Rustin, but with even deeper impact. Born in 1903 into the Jim Crow South, she learned early in life about resistance and resilience, hearing stories from her grandmother about living in slavery and what it was to be whipped for refusing the master. Those stories helped shape young Ella's sense of injustice in the world and inspired her to go on to attend Shaw University, a historically black college in Raleigh, North Carolina. Ella would go on to organize chapters of the NAACP, eventually rising to be its highest ranking national woman leader in the early 1950s. Baker's outspoken and bottom-up approach to organizing helped shape much of the early civil rights movement, with her being hired as the first staff member of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1958, building on the momentum of the success of the Montgomery bus boycott. But I raise Ella Baker's name today because of her commitment to cultivating leadership. After the regional lunch counter sit-ins in the 1960, which were student-led, Baker convened SCLC to convene, convinced SCLC to convene a gathering of students to coalesce their energy for change. Out of that gathering and with her mentorship, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, was born. One of the reasons we don't hear a great deal about Ella Baker and why there is no Ella Baker Day is because she believed in decentralized leadership. Leadership that was grassroots and leadership that was homegrown. Now, I rarely use Wikipedia as an original source, but the following paragraph from the page about Ella Baker says a great deal. It says, according to activist Mumia Abu-Jamal, Baker advocated a more collectivist model of leadership over the prevailing messianic style of the period. Baker was largely arguing against the civil rights movement being structured along the organization model of the black church. The black church then had largely female membership and male leadership. Baker questioned not only the gendered hierarchy of the civil rights movement, but also that of the black church. Ella Baker and Martin Luther King Jr., as well as other SCLC members, were reported to have differences in opinion and philosophy during the 1950s and 1960s. She was older than many of the young ministers she worked with, which added to their tensions. She once said that the movement made Martin, and not Martin the movement. When she gave a speech urging activists to take control of the movement themselves rather than rely on a leader with heavy feet of clay, it was widely interpreted as a denunciation of King. Ella's philosophy was power to the people. By members working together, Baker believed that a group's force could make significant 
changes. Ella Baker. Amen. Now, I could continue to tell you about Ella Baker, but I think you get my point. From someone like Ella Baker, we learn that leadership is not a brand or something that is packaged or manufactured. Rather, from Ella Baker, we learn that leadership is an environment. It is a posture in the world. It is not something to be worshipped or put in the center. Rather, leadership is the energy surrounding what happens in the center and beyond. Presidential. Electability. These are not worth our time or our energy. We talk about taking back the White House or reclaiming our government, and yes, some folks talk about making America great again. But this is only on the surface. Part of why we come together here on a Sunday and part of why we can come together in our social justice organizing and part of why we can also spend time enjoying each other without an agenda is because we want to live in a world where we are inspired by each other. Inspired by each other to march and also inspired by each other to laugh. Each and every one of us leads the other toward joy, toward accountability, toward caring, toward justice. We possess leadership within. We cannot simply seek it without. What we must focus on more than finding a head of government who is presidential or looking to a candidate who is electable is reclaiming our place in the equation as everyday leaders who are teachers, organizers, grocery clerks, parents, students, people who make a difference in how life is lived on the ground with integrity every day. We must then require that those who are given the precious and sacred trust of public leadership do no more and no less than reflect the best of our leadership every day. The challenges we face today came well before 2016, and they will continue after 2020. Although she died in 1986, I feel like Ella Baker understood this and is calling us to now remember the example inspired by her and her grandmother and tested with Ella herself in the crucible of civil rights. Ella Baker said of herself, you didn't see me on television, you didn't see news stories about me. The kind of role that I tried to play was to pick up pieces or put together pieces out of which I hoped organization might come. My theory is strong people don't need strong leaders. Power to the people, folks power to the people. May it be so.